This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. Welcome back to the World Cafe. I'm Raina Duris, joined by John Morrison. John Morrison is a podcast host and the host of Culture Cipher Radio on WXPN in Philadelphia, where we make World Cafe. Every month he joins me for the Culture Corner, and he connects the dots for us across all different genres of music. Hey, John, how's it going? I'm good, Raina. How are you? I'm doing very well. What have you brought for us today? For the last uh, couple years, uh, in celebration of Black History Month, you and I have been doing these month-long segments where we kind of dig into like the bigger ideas concerning Black music and, and Black music history. You know, we did uh, the Black Roots of Rock and Roll. Last year, we did four weeks digging into the history of R&B, which I had like mad fun doing. And this month, uh, I wanted to talk about dance music specifically as like a fundamental aspect of black music, but also music in general, as as we hear it and experience now. Oh, I'm so excited. Could you maybe explain what you mean? Because I think we all hear dance music, people have heard that term, but what do you mean when you say dance music specifically? Yeah, so all music can be dance music, right? Given <laughs> like the right circumstances and context. Uh, but what I'm really talking about when I say dance music is a sound and really a, a culture that came out of black club culture and DJ culture specifically. So when I say dance music, I'm talking about a continuum of music that starts with disco and stretches out to encompass like house music, techno, EDM, really any form of electronic dance music that we hear today. So we are going to start with disco in the 1970s. Why was disco so significant in the evolution of dance music? I think that understanding disco and its influence is really crucial to understanding uh, the history of dance music in the last few decades of the 20th century and this early part of the 21st century. So there's a direct line of influence that can be traced from the explosion of disco in the 1970s through to the birth of what we you know, now know to be electronic dance music in the 80s. And every major stylistic shift in club culture and, and music up to today, it all traces back to disco. And most people who are listening right now are probably familiar with disco uh, and, and like the big disco hits from the 70s. But how did it start? What can you tell us about disco's origins? Disco is interesting because it's really a convergence of a handful of black musical styles. And is there's not really any one song that you can point to as like the definitive first disco song. I've heard some people argue that Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, The Love I Lost, was the first real disco song. The 
is kind of vague where disco's origins uh, come from. But if you look at the early tunes that a lot of the DJs were playing in clubs, uh, these were essentially up-tempo Philly soul songs, right? And when you think about uh, that disco beat that's on, you know, every major disco record, even people making like retro style disco now, uh, you know, still use this drum beat. created by a drummer from Philadelphia named Earl Young. So Earl Young would play uh, four kick drums for every measure, uh, a snare on the second and the fourth beat, and then he would play eighth note hi-hats. Now what determines what the song is gonna feel like is your hi-hat. So I put eighth notes on hi-hat. You got four on the floor here. So that rhythmic formula, that's the disco beat. It was born here in Philadelphia. And, you know, you combine that with uh, these grand uh, string arrangements and brass arrangements that uh, a lot of R&B groups were doing in the 60s. They took that, combined it with Earl Young's beat, and that's the formula for disco. Cool. I mean, we are we are recording in Philadelphia. That's where we make World Cafe. Uh, you know, speaking of Philly, what can you tell us about the role that Philadelphia International Records played in the creation of disco? Yeah, Philly International uh, was key in the evolution of this sound. The label, as some folks would know, was formed by the songwriting duo of Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. And while Gamble and Huff never specifically referred to the music that they made as disco, a lot of those records that they released and that they wrote and produced were played in clubs in uh, New York, Chicago, Detroit, of course, here in Philly, all of these cities that would later become like the epicenters of dance music in the 80s. All of that stuff that the DJs were playing in those disco clubs, the formative records that, that made the genre what it would be, were produced and released by Philadelphia International. So you can't really talk about disco and its origins without talking about that label and Gamble and Huff and Tom Bell and all those folks that, that worked on those records. Okay, well, let's listen to some music from the 70s from Philly. Here's Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes featuring Teddy Pendergrass. It's Bad Luck on World Cafe. 
You just heard Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes featuring Teddy Pendergrass. That was Bad Luck on World Cafe. It's the Culture Corner. I'm Raina Duras here with World Cafe correspondent John Morrison. For Black History Month, he's taking us through the history of dance music decade by decade. We're starting in the 70s this week. By the end of the 1970s, disco had gone mainstream, but not everybody was thrilled by that. What can you tell us about the disco backlash of the late 1970s? So 1977 uh, is kind of considered ground zero as far as disco's full infiltration into the mainstream. So 1977 was the year that the film Saturday Night Fever came out. Uh, The film was was a a smash at the box office. You know, they got nominated for Oscar, multiple Golden Globes. The soundtrack won a few Grammys. So it was really like this film was a, a phenomenon in pop culture. But by 1977, disco had also essentially came out of the underground black and gay clubs where this music was was incubated and it it came into the mainstream and that was met with hostility specifically from white rock fans who didn't want to hear music uh that was so closely associated with black folks and gay folks like there was uh a few examples but yeah people who were not interested in hearing this sound and, and, you know, associated it with black folks and queer culture. They were not trying to hear that. Mm. Well, let's talk about one of the one of these sort of anti-disco events that happened. I mean, we we're talking about the racial dynamics behind the disco backlash. What can you tell us about the disco demolition night at Comiskey Park in Chicago? So on July 12th, 1979, a radio DJ in Chicago named Steve Dahl hosted a promotion at the, the White Sox Stadium called Disco Demolition Night. This is going to be all over the newspapers, all over the television, all over radio, all over the city, all over the country, and everybody's going to know that us rock and rollers here in Chicago think Disco sucks. Leading up to that night, Steve Dahl urged his listeners to bring in disco records to the stadium at the game so that they could be blown up in center field in protest of this music that they all hated for the reasons that we discussed earlier. An estimated 50,000 people showed up. A lot of them were uh, throwing vinyl records out of the stands onto the fields and Looking back on this, you know, 40 something years later, why do we understand this incident to be racist and uh, the backlash against disco in general to be racially coded? If you look at the accounts from that day, uh, a lot of folks were saying that Dahl's supporters weren't just bringing in disco records to be destroyed. So you could see that there was there was a. Uh, a general feeling that uh, these white rock fans were hostile towards black music in general. Yeah, I actually didn't realize this. They were also bringing in R&B records for Steve Dahl to blow up. Yeah, there, there's a famous story uh, that sh- the Chicago DJ producer uh, Vince Lawrence tells about that night. He was a teenager and he worked 
at the gate at Comiskey Park. And he tells the story about that night. And he says that um, during the disco demolition night, a lot of the white attendees were bringing in it's what seemed like any record made by black artists, R&B records, funk records, the whole thing. So clearly these folks were letting their feelings be known about black music as a whole. And it wasn't just limited to disco. What do you think this disco backlash tells us about American popular culture and the way that race shapes it? I think that Disco Demolition Night and the general backlash against disco is is indicative of an ongoing tension in American popular culture. So we've seen this with rock music in the 50s, rap in the 80s and 90s. Whenever a, a, a new form of black music arises and uh, into the mainstream, it has to contend with the overarching racial dynamics of America, right? So there's this weird tension between mainstream white America having an insatiable thirst for black creativity while also being deeply racist. So it, it creates like a, a messed up dynamic where black music is praised in the mainstream, but simultaneously demonized. You've brought uh, another track for us to listen to, another disco track from the 70s. What can you tell us about this one? Why'd you choose it? Yeah, I wanted to listen to Phyllis Hyman's song, You Know How to Love Me, uh, because Phyllis Hyman, in my opinion, uh, was really one of the great vocalists of her era and really any era. And this song uh, kind of encapsulates the feeling of what Black music was like in the, in the late 1970s and what uh, disco really was, you know, Phyllis Hyman could sing jazz. She was a master at singing ballads. And as we will hear on this song, You Know How to Love Me, she was also great at performing up-tempo songs and, and doing disco. So this tune has a lot of history folded into it, just when you, you consider the people who made it. So you have Phyllis Hyman uh, on vocals, the song was written by the great songwriting duo James and Tume and Reggie Lucas, who also played with Miles Davis and those great fusion bands in the 1970s. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on and a lot of uh, genius that, that came together to make this song. And beyond, you know, all of that, or, or in addition to all of that, is really one of the best club songs of that era. Let's listen to it. This is Phyllis Hyman with You Know How to Love Me on World Cafe. And I'm so happy Phyllis Hyman, You Know How to Love Me. 
This is World Cafe. I'm Raina Duris. It's the Culture Corner today with John Morrison. And as we celebrate Black History Month, he's taking us through the decades of the history of dance music. And this is the first episode. We're in the 70s right now. We've been talking about disco. How did disco impact popular music? And where does dance music go from there? Yeah, as I uh, said earlier, I think that disco is hugely important for understanding the last five decades or so of popular music. You know, for starters, disco laid the foundation for DJ culture as we know it. You know, even down to like the practice of taking two turntables and a mixer and mixing two identical copies of a record together, which is the foundation of hip hop culture, which then spawned sampling and a whole bunch of other things that comes from disco. So without disco, we don't get hip hop. You know, the term remix comes from disco where engineers and producers would make extended versions of popular songs to be played and mixed in clubs by DJs, you know? And as we'll see next week, when we talk about dance music in the eighties, House and techno are also direct descendants of disco. So there's there's a whole lot of music and a whole lot of ways of playing music and making music that we have today that we we got to thank disco and those those early DJs for you know laying that foundation. Well, I'm really excited to uh, hear where this goes over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we are going through the history of dance music for Black History Month. This was the first week in the 70s talking disco. Next week, we move into the 80s with John Morrison. John, thank you so much. Thank you, Raina. I appreciate it. John Morrison is a podcast host and the host of Culture Cipher Radio on WXPN in Philadelphia, where we make World Cafe. He joins me every month for the Culture Corner. I'm Raina Duras, back in a moment with more World Cafe. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR.